Well, all right. As I said, Pastor Mike's in Jamaica, so I get to preach. Um, he said to me, he said, hey, when you're preaching that weekend, that's right before the water baptism. You think maybe you could preach on that? And I said, oh, I did that last year too. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah. So I get to do it again. I get to preach on water baptism. So that's pretty neat. So he's been taking us through the book of James recently in the last couple of weeks, and that has been really good. I just love how practical James is, don't you? He's just right to the point and practical teaching. It's pretty neat. And so the first week, it was just amazing. He, he talked about, consider it pure joy, brethren, when you suffer trials of all kinds. Well, that doesn't usually go together, trial and pure joy. Uh, but boy, if you missed that, go to our website, go to the Facebook page and listen to that sermon again, because think about how powerful that is. Life has trials and sufferings, doesn't it? If you can grab a hold of that and consider it pure joy, that's a life changer figure out how to do that. So go back and, and catch up on that. Listen to that. That's really cool. And then last week, he talked about several things. The thing that stood out to me is where James right away said, brethren, do not be deceived. Well, how many of us feel like we're deceived? Like, oh, no, I'm not, right? But how many people do we know that have an inaccurate view of the world? That's being deceived. How many people have an inaccurate view of, let's say, the church and of Christians? Oh boy, that's being deceived. Within the church, how many people have an inaccurate view of God and his role in their life and and the kind of father that he is? That's being deceived. There's so many ways we can be deceived. So how do we not be deceived? Let's know the truth, right? Study his word, get to know the truth so we won't be deceived. So that's that's a warning we hear all the time. Brethren, do not be deceived. And we got to take that pretty seriously because it's easy to be deceived. So today, water baptism. This is a subject that can get overlooked, that can get, oh boy, now i got to hear another sermon about water baptism. It can be old hat, something that we get used to. Today, I hope to uh, help you to realize what an integral, beautiful part of Christianity water baptism is and what it represents. And so we're going to look at a scriptural uh, view of that. I really like Pastor Mike's uh, illustration of, of uh, what water baptism can be. And he didn't really apply it to water baptism, but to other things. I love when he tells about when he was in college in his dorm, uh, one of the, his roommates evidently got a little bit upset about uh, a sporting event he was watching, and somehow his fist bumped into the wall and uh, put a hole in the wall. And they were like, oh, we have a hole in the wall. What are we going to do? we got to fix that. Oh, no. And then they didn't fix it and let it go. And a little bit longer, pretty soon forgot about it and kind of forgot it was there. And then one day somebody came into their dorm that had never been there before and said, you have a hole in your wall. And they're like, what? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I guess we do. Something as blatant as a hole in the wall can be forgotten when you just see it all the time. You don't even think about it anymore. And sometimes that's I think the deal with water baptism, we forget about its significance and its importance. So we'll dust it off today and take a look at it. When I talk about water baptism, there's three main questions that usually come up with people. And sometimes there are areas of disagreement between different churches or denominations and things like that too. Uh, But these three questions are, why? Why should we be water baptized? Why even bother with this ritual or whatever it is? What what is the importance of it? So we're going to try and address that today. The second question is when. When should we be baptized? When's the proper time? Is it as an infant? Uh, Is it at a certain age? Is uh, the age of 15 the magic age of accountability when suddenly then, okay, now this time, is it as an adult? When is the correct time? 
Well, let's see what the scripture says about that. And then the third thing is how. How should we do it? What's the proper method? Is it sprinkling? Is it dunking? Is it uh, stand in this water puddle and spin around three times and say these words? You know, I mean, what is it? Let's, let's see what it is. Uh, and when it comes to this subject, as much as I would like it to, uh, I, I'm here to tell you my opinion doesn't matter. Sorry, but your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, The stance of Good Hope Church on water baptism doesn't matter. The stance of the Assembly of God on water baptism doesn't matter unless it lines up with the Scripture, right? That's the standard here. So if you've heard me preach before and you're familiar with me, you understand we are going to read a lot of Scriptures today. Because I don't want to rely on my own wisdom or it would be a pretty short sermon probably. (laughs) But we're going to read a lot of Scriptures and dig into that. That's the standard. And hopefully all the time you guys are reading your Bibles, reading the Word, and checking it out, and checking us, and making sure that we're human beings, making sure that we're on track. I'm not interested in pushing my agenda, neither is Pastor Mike. I'm interested in finding the truth. So let's do that together and dig into God's Word, all right? Very cool. Okay, so there was a taxi driver and a pastor. (laughs) And they died and they went to heaven, okay? You know where I'm going with this. Uh, disclaimer here, we don't believe this is how it really happens. You die, you go to the pearly gates, Peter's waiting for you. And... But anyway, this is a story, okay? <laughs> so the taxi driver and the pastor die, they go to heaven. St. Peter's waiting for him, and uh, he says to the taxi driver, he says, follow me. And okay, so the taxi driver follows him, and they go down the streets of gold, and they stop in front of this big mansion, and man, this thing is just extravagant, this huge mansion. It's got its own swimming pool, and bowling alley, and just everything you could think of is just this beautiful mansion. And uh, Peter says, welcome home. Here's your new home in heaven. And wow, it's just great. So the pastor sees that, and he's like, man, if a taxi driver gets that, what am I going to get? He was pretty excited, you know. So Peter says to the pastor, follow me. And they walk down to another part of heaven, and they get to this place, and they stop in front of this, uh, this little shack. Yeah, it's just a shack with a bunk in it and a little black and white TV in the corner. That's about it. And he's like, welcome home. Pastor kind of looks at Peter and says, I think there might have been a little bit of a mix-up here or something. And Peter says, well, why? He says, well, don't you think as a pastor, maybe I should get the mansion and the taxi driver should be here? Peter says to me, he says, well, let's put it this way. When you preached, a lot of people slept. When that taxi driver was driving people around town, every single one of them was praying. (laughs) So I don't want to be the guy that puts you to sleep today. So please pay attention so I can not, you know, (laughs) because water baptism can be boring, but let's not do that. So let's pay attention. All right. So before we dig into this subject, let's pray and uh, ask God for direction here. Praise you, God. I just thank you so much for your word, God. Uh, some of these subjects are so complicated, and there's so many gray areas sometimes that it just seems hard to understand. But I thank you for your word that you give us that we can dig into, for your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. And so today, as we look at this subject, I just pray that you would do that. Uh, give us wisdom, give us clarity of thought, Lord, and, and your Holy Spirit to, to help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, to fully understand water baptism, I think we need to go back to the basics of Christianity, um, because that's really what it represents. So we've got to understand what is Christianity, what does it mean to be a Christian, what are the procedures and things that we see in the Bible that 
lead up to water baptism? What is it all about? So first step as a Christian, we have to realize that we need God, right? Let's take a quick look at a verse that you're probably all very familiar with, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many here are in all? That's me. I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's in a nutshell saying, yes, we are not good enough to go to heaven on our own. Can you ever be good enough on your own? No, we can't even be good enough to be in God's presence. We need to understand what a huge, pure, holy, perfect, powerful, awesome God he is, and we're not. We're human beings. We're flawed. Remember, uh, When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, when he was seeking God, and he said, God, I want to see you. And God said, no, you can't. He said, oh, come on, I really want to see you. So finally God said, okay, here, hide behind that rock, hide your face. I'm just going to quickly pass by in the distance so you can see the back of my cloak. That's all a human being could handle or we'd be dead. He is so powerful and awesome and incredible. We can't even handle being in his presence. How do we think we could ever be good enough to be in his presence or be in heaven? No way. And remember when Moses came down from the mountain, They had to put a covering over his head because he was glowing from being in the presence of God. God is incredible. We're less than that by a long shot. We can never, ever be good enough to be in God's presence on our own. And that's the key. You have to realize that first to become a Christian. Hey, wait, I'm not good enough to be in God's presence. So then let's take a look at Romans 10, 9 through 13. So there he says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have hope. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've got a way out. We're hopeless without God. He's our salvation. We have a way out. That's pretty cool. So what do we believe? That he's our only hope. That what he did saves us, makes us good enough for God. Um, Let's take a look at Hebrews 9. We'll start with 22 and then we're going to read 28. And this is, how many have read or tried to read the Old Testament? It's complicated, right? And the things that they had to go through, it was always understood that if we're going to do things that are opposing to God, there has to be something to reconcile us to God, right? And blood was the thing that there always had to be a shedding of blood in order to do it. In the Old Testament days, it was sacrificing of animals. And I mean, and yeah, it's complicated. It's like, okay, you did this sin, so you got to sacrifice two calves and a dove. And you did this, and you... It's just crazy, and it was too much for us to handle, and God realized that, so he did something different. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we have no hope without forgiveness. Jump down to verse 28. It says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So there's our hope. He was sacrificed once for all of our sins. Hallelujah for that. He's our hope. He's our salvation. So that's the basics of Christianity. So his blood was the final sacrifice, and through that we're made clean, pure, holy, and righteous in his eyes. 
That's amazing to me. That should never grow old. That should never get dull. That's, it's just incredible that he did that for us and gives us that chance. So is that it then? We believe in God and accept that and confess it with our mouth and believe it in our heart. And now we're Christians and life goes on the same as normal, right? Not quite. Let's take a look at Mark. We're going to read Mark 1, 14 through 15 and see another element that is always a pattern in this, in this situation. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So here's another element of it that we see all the time. Repent. What does that mean? So I went to Webster's Dictionary online, and I was amazed at what Webster's Dictionary, not a Christian uh, piece of literature, nothing like that, what it said Webster's Online says, repent, to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. It's right in Webster's, to turn from sin. So to repent means to stop doing what you're doing and go the other way. Some definitions liken it to doing a 180. Repent means to go, oh, that's not the direction I'm supposed to go. I'm going to go this way, and you go another direction. Repent, stop, turn around, go the other way. Another piece of that definition is to feel regret or contrition, and to change one's mind. Okay? So you see things differently. So we believe, we accept him, we repent. How does that work, that whole process? Hopefully that's happened for you. Hopefully you've seen that in your life. The Holy Spirit helps us with that, doesn't he? He helps us to see what we need to change. And I like that he starts with small things usually. (laughs) He understands our capacity and uh, starts with small things and helps us to change. Uh, So I want to ask you this morning to think about this. On a personal level, how did that look for you, or how does it look right now? What things in your attitude, in your thinking, in your lifestyle changed, or needed to change, or need to change? How has the Holy Spirit helped you to do this process of repentance? And are you committed to it? Are you really committed to Christ? Because it's something we have to do. It's not just, oh, I believe now and life is the same as usual. It doesn't look that way here. We Over and over, we see this process of repentance. Stop, turn around, go. How does that look for you? What's that picture look like? Have you changed? You know, it might have been something really simple or it might be something simple that you're dealing with that you've had to change this process of repentance. It might just be your attitude towards somebody else. Somebody that maybe doesn't necessarily mesh with your personality or something like that you don't really get along with. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to you and says, I love that person. And you go, boy, I'm not treating him very well. I need to change that. Lord, help me to see this person through your eyes and to love him like you do. That might be it. It could be something, some, something like uh, uh, something you were doing in the workplace on the boss's time that you really shouldn't have been on the boss's time, you know? And it really didn't seem like a big deal to you. But suddenly, you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you and you go, that's probably not right. Even though my boss is mean, that's not right to be doing this on his time. And, and you start to change and start seeing things differently, right? That's the process of repentance and the process of sanctification, which is pretty neat. I have um, a cousin of mine has been a pastor for many, many years. And boy, this was probably 20 years ago or more. We were talking one time. Uh, and this is something that helped me understand a little more of this process because he was brought up in a good Christian home. Pretty straight-laced family, but he chose to run from God for several years, and he was living a life that was 
definitely not a godly life. Got involved in a lot of things in a lifestyle that was very destructive. But when he gave his life back to God uh, and decided, yeah, I want to follow God, and he began studying to be a pastor and the whole shot, it was really cool. He said there are two things specifically that um, really the Holy Spirit spoke to me that I had to repent of. I had to stop. I had to turn around. Uh, and the Holy Spirit told me, you got to stop these. One was smoking cigarettes. The other one was he had a really foul mouth. Bad language. And he thought, well, being a pastor, that's probably not a good idea to be uh, cussing and swearing and smoking cigarettes. It's just probably not a good example, right? <laughs> and so he knew he had to stop that. Well, plus he was studying to be an Assembly of God pastor like myself and Pastor Mike, and we take a vow of absolutely no alcohol, no tobacco. So he knew he had to quit smoking and stop. So he said, God, help me through this process. He said, would you please help me? I need to stop these things. It's not going to be easy. Can you help me change? And he said, instantly, God took the cussing and swearing away from him. It was just gone. He said, it was just crazy. Never again did a cuss word ever come out of his mouth. Didn't even think of it. Just gone. Smoking, however, that was a struggle. My goodness, it took a long time. It took a a few different tries. And finally, he kicked that habit. It was a long time. And he said, why would God just let me struggle with that and take one thing and not the other? But I've experienced the same thing, and I'm sure many of you have too, where God just lets us struggle with something. It's like, wow, why would you not just, uh, you took that away, why don't you help me take, you know, with that as well, you know? But years later, he said, he said, I think I really understand why God did that. He said, and here's why, because as I'm preaching at that time, he said, at this time still, when I'm preaching, sometimes I have this fear in the back of my mind that a cuss word or something is going to slip out right into the pulpit or something like that even though it just never has, he said, because it was just taken from me. He said, smoking, however, I had to fight, I had to struggle, I had to work. I fully understood the grip that that had on me. And uh, he said, and I, boy, because of that, there is no way the rest of my life I'm never picking up a cigarette, because I know how hard I had to fight to get rid of that. And I think God does that. He lets us struggle with things sometimes to build character, to build strength, to build confidence, so that now you can say, Look at that. Me and God did it. Bring it on, devil. What's next? I can handle it. He builds character and confidence that way by letting us go through what we need to sometimes. And then sometimes he just takes it away. Isn't that cool? God is a sovereign God. And we shouldn't doubt that. We should trust him because he wants what's best for us. Now, on this subject of smoking, I want to make it clear. Is smoking going to send you to hell? No. Is it good for you? Is your body the temple of God? So should you do it? I mean, not. But let's not get bent out of shape about specific things and get judgmental of others as well. Because I know some very uh, traditional Christians, if you will, that are very judgmental about that. Oh, he comes to church and goes out back and has a cigarette and calls himself a Christian. Well, what about the too much chocolate you ate last week? (laughs) Right? That was unhealthy for you too. What about your lack of an exercise program? Or, or what, you know, there's a million things. Let's not get nitpicky on one thing and be judgmental and all that. We're, we're working on this thing together, all right? So I just want to make that clear. Uh, I'm not coming down on you. All right, so this process of repentance, he helps us with some things. He lets us go through what we need to. He's a gracious God. The Holy Spirit prompts us and helps us to do that. So that's the process we see in the Bible over and over again. Believe and you'll be saved. Confess, confess with your mouth. Repent. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Change what he asks you to do. So let's move on. Let's look at 1 Timothy 
chapter 6, we're going to read uh, 11 through 12. But you, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from what? Those things that you need to repent of and change that are opposing to God's will. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, which only comes through going through these things, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So fight the good fight. It is a fight, isn't it? Because we have an enemy who is fighting every day, 24 hours a day, and all he wants to do is steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. So if we don't fight, who's going to win? I'm sorry, but we're in a fight, and we have to fight that battle. Thank goodness we have God on our side, and we've got the Holy Spirit to guide us through us all, right? (laughs) Praise God. All right, let's jump to Mark. We're going to read chapter 8. We're going to read verses 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. He says, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to be saved, to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So what does this mean? First of all, it says deny yourself. Okay, there's things that you may want to do that God says you shouldn't do. Well, then deny yourself of that. Stop it. Do it. Doesn't it make more sense? God loves us and cares about us and wants what's best for us. Well, then doesn't it make sense for us to just not do those other things and do what God wants us to do when you look at it that way? Because why does God have rules and regulations and commandments and all this? Because he's a mean, harsh God. He wants to spoil all our fun. Oh, he knows better than we do, and he loves us. He likes us. He's trying to help us out. He knows that if you continue doing these things, here's the end result, and man, you're going to be miserable. But if you stop and you do these things, man, life is good. He wants us to live the abundant, the full life, right? So that's why those things are there. And then whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save. Does that mean we have to die in order to be saved? Or No, this is losing your life, giving up your life, your, the things that you think you want to do that really are bad for you. Lay it down, and then he'll give you a new life. And we're going to see more of that here um, as we read along. So, hey, we're doing all right. It's hard to get all this in last night in time. (laughs) There's just so much to cover here. So we'll jump down to Romans. We're going to read chapter 6. First, we'll read 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? He said this because... Uh, the church was taking this you know, too far. They were like, okay, God's grace. He'll forgive us, so why don't we just keep on sinning? And they even went so far as to use the excuse that, well, this is good. It'll allow the grace of God to keep moving, so I'll just keep sinning so that he can keep forgiving me. And uh, isn't that a good thing? No, it's not. So he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is not talking about water baptism. This is, we were baptized into Jesus and baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection. Uh, Yeah, let's read the next two. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So anyone who's died to sin is free from it. You're no longer in bondage to these things. It's no longer holding you back. You're free. You have to die to sin. Kind of seems like baptism, right? You're buried, you come up a new man. It's representative of this. So we're buried with Christ, we come up with new life. So we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ. So what does this mean? The old's gone. The new has begun. So again, how did that process look for you? Or have you experienced it? That's part of Christianity. It's not just believing and going to church. And God takes and changes us and gives us a new life. And that's pretty exciting. That's something that should never grow old. We should never get tired of that. Uh, and we should never stop growing and, and developing into this new life. It's pretty amazing. Well, let's read some more about this new life. Then let's go to Acts 5. We're going to read 19 through 20. This is another instance in the Bible where the apostles were in prison and God intervened. It's just so cool. There's so many things that we're going to read about today that I, I wish I was there. I wish I could have seen and experienced. It just blows my mind. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. There it is, a new life. Over and over he talks about this new life. Well, then we better see if we're experiencing that new life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll read verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There it is again. And then Colossians 1.22, how does this all happen? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present, to you, present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. That's pretty awesome, that God can see us, imperfect, flawed human beings, as pure, holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Wow, that's amazing. It's really awesome. So you're saying, Larry, I thought you were going to talk about water baptism. (laughs) We're getting there. Just hang on. This is what it represents is what Christ has done for you. The old life is gone. The new you is here. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few examples in the Bible of baptism. There are a lot of them, but we're just going to look at a couple. And let's just see the pattern this follows, and what does the Bible say about it, and where do we go from there? And hopefully that answers those three questions that we asked at the beginning. Uh, so let's start with Matthew 3.13. Now this is when... John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist had been preaching and baptizing people and preaching about Jesus for a long time. He fully understood who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And Jesus comes to John and says, baptize me. And John, what do you mean? You're the Savior of the world. So here's here's how it went. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So let's see what happens. This is really another one of those things. Man, I wish I was there. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, 
Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I loved, who I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow, wouldn't that have been cool to see? He comes out of the water, the sky opens, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. God's big voice comes out of the sky and says, That's my boy. I'm pretty proud of him. Why did that happen? Well, again, he was just being obedient and doing a thing, and just God loves that. I think he just was so proud he couldn't help himself. He said, hey, this is, this is the one. This is my son, the one that I'm really proud of. Now, I want to ask you this. Did Jesus need to have his sins forgiven? No, he's perfect, right? So he didn't need to have his sins forgiven. So then, does baptism forgive us of our sins? Evidently not. Because then why did Jesus get baptized? Doesn't look like it here. Baptism, water baptism itself, doesn't necessarily forgive us of our sins. Um, oh, man, I'm running out of time already. So let's take a look at, uh, what can we skip here? Well, let's look at Acts 16, 29 through 34. And then this is when Paul and Silas were in prison. Another time when God intervened and shook the chains and, and the bars off from the prison and everyone was there still. The jailer thought everyone was going to leave, so he was going to commit suicide because he thought, sure, he was going to be killed anyway. But here they all stayed there. And so uh, the jailer called for lights and he rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, who had said, we're all here, it's okay. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He recognized that God did this. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Look at that. Uh, yeah, let's read the rest of it. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So there again, it's part of the process. They're like, oh, Jesus is our hope. He's our Savior. I believe we're saved. Why not get baptized? They got baptized. So it's part of the whole process of salvation, right? Um, does he say, be baptized and you'll be saved? Go back to verse 31 there. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. But then after they believed, well, then part of that, let's get baptized. So it kind of seems like over and over in the Bible, one comes first and then the other, right? So being baptized doesn't save you, doesn't cleanse you from your sins or anything like that. All right. Um, We are going to move on so we can get done here. Let's, let's read quickly 1 Peter 3. We're going to read 21 through 22. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience or a good relationship with God, some versions say. It saves you, and I like to put in only, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's move on who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So here it shows us that water baptism doesn't save you, only in that it represents what has already happened, right? It's a representation, a symbolization. The water symbolizes what has already happened 
in your heart, in your life, this becoming a new creation. The old's gone, the new is here. Uh, so that's what that's about. We're going to look at one more example of water baptism. This is cool. This is a story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch was a very powerful leader, probably a very wealthy man, and in his chariot he was traveling along. This is one of them divine appointments where God sent Philip and told him to go in a certain place and said there's going to be someone there who's reading the scriptures who don't understand them. Go talk to him. Philip's walking along this road. The eunuch is in his chariot reading the scriptures, and Philip hears him uh, and does, says this. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. So he must have been reading about Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah and all that, and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So again, we saw that this is just a natural progression. He went, oh, Jesus is Lord, and he's my Savior, and I believe, and hey, then why shouldn't I be baptized? And he did. Now, this is amazing. This is another one of these deals I wish I could see. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Isn't that amazing? He baptized and comes out of the water. Philip's gone. I hope that doesn't happen Wednesday. <laughs> Where's Pastor Mike? <laughs> Where'd he go? But, and then Philip finds himself in his Otis and is like, oh, we're here. Well, let's preach here then. That's so, but it's another one of the instances where you see in the Bible where just when someone's baptized, miraculous things happen. Why is that? You know, I've heard stories of people being physically healed after they're water baptized of you know, mental issues being healed, all kinds of different things. Not every time, of course, and I've never seen anything really crazy, miraculous like that, but I'll guarantee you, something changes in your heart. It is a cool thing. And why is that? Why do we see that? God loves obedience. And he loves when his people are making an expression like this of love to him and a worship to him. And man, I think he just pours it out on us because he just loves to see us do that, take these steps and be obedient and honor him. Uh, so I think that's a lot of it. Okay, got to get you out of here so we can get to the 11 o'clock community service. Um, hopefully this answers these three questions, and we're going to try and uh, quickly go through this, because I think the examples we've seen actually do answer these questions. So first of all, why should we be baptized? Jesus said so to me. End of story. That's a pretty good reason, isn't it? If he said so, well, then let's do it. That's going to be the best thing, Right? I think there's a couple of other uh, parts to it as well, though. I think it really um, solidifies in you the decision you've made and what God has done for you, that the old man's gone, the new one is here. This is a new life. It really solidifies it for you. And then number three, it's a public statement to others. Hey, this is what God did for me, and I've committed to him, and, and I'm, I'm, the old person's gone. So let's do it because Jesus said so. Let's do it to solidify in ourselves. Yes, I am committed to Christ, and then to show others this is what God has done for me. I think three pretty good reasons to be water baptized. Second question is when? This can be an area of disagreement in the church. Is it as an infant? Is it when you're older? Well, again, let's just follow the pattern of the Bible and see what that says. What is the pattern of Christianity? Believe, repent, be saved, be baptized. Now, if you're baptized as an infant, don't feel bad about that. Some churches do that. 
It's not like you're going to be under the wrath of God if you did it this way or whatever, whatever. But the pattern we see in the Bible is that it symbolizes what's already happened in your heart, right? And in your life. So let's just follow that pattern and do it that way. And I'll say this. I don't know, some might disagree with me, but I would say if you were baptized as an infant, but now you fully understand it, get baptized again. Why not? I see nothing in the scriptures that says you shouldn't. Just as an expression of what God has done in you and has done in your life, get baptized again. Praise God. It's a beautiful act of worship to God. Uh, So do it again. Uh, And then the third question, remember, was how. How should we do it? What's the proper method? And again, there's there's sprinklers, there's dunkers, we're dunkers. We do full immersion, try and drown you. Uh, why? Again, what's the pattern we've seen in the Bible here, even in these few examples we've looked at? It says, when Jesus came up out of the water. Well, that means he was under the water, right? Okay, let's not try and make up something else. Let's do it the way that was done. When Philip and the eunuch came up out of the water, Philip was gone. Well, that means they were under the water, right? So that's why we do it that way, because again, we just want to follow the pattern of the scriptures. Uh, It seems to be the smartest and safest thing to do, right? So we do it that way. I'm going to have the uh, prayer teams come on down. The most important question that I have for you today is this. We talked about a lot of things today. We talked about the old man being dead, the process of repentance, of sanctification, the new life being here. Whether you have been water baptized or not, whether you're considering or not, the biggest thing is, is that reality for you? Are you experiencing that new life in Christ that he wants for us, that beautiful, wonderful, abundant life in him where you can count it all joy, regardless of your circumstances, just because he's so good? Do you have that relationship with him? Take a look at your own life. What process have you gone through? What has changed? Have you seen a change in your heart and in your life and in your thought patterns and in the things that you do? That's the most important thing. Are you living that new life? Are you a new creation? He wants us to have a life of peace, joy, love, gentleness, patience. He's guiding us in a good direction. Why wouldn't we follow him? Why wouldn't we give up these things that we think are so important to enter into a new life like that? Oh, my goodness. So I'm going to read a few verses here. David, I love how David expresses his heart to God in the Psalms, both good and bad. He's... <laughs> kind of an emotional guy, and he would just put it all out there. There were times he was angry with God and frustrated, and he would put it out there. I just love reading that honesty from his heart. But I love how he rejoiced in this new life with Christ as well and described that. So I'm just going to read quickly a few verses here from Psalms. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Psalms 5.11 says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. Psalm 30.11 says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Are you living that new life? That's the question today. Uh, These people are here to pray with you, to talk to you. 
uh, I would invite you to just take your time this morning, spend some time in God's presence, whether you just sit in your seat or whether you come down and pray. Um, Ask God to show you what else you need to do to move into that new life. So let's pray and close this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the new life that you offer to us. That even though we're flawed human beings, that we're pulled in many directions, our human nature pulls us in one direction, the devil pulls us in another direction, God, you have offered a way to be seen as pure and holy and righteous in your eyes, Lord. And I pray this morning you'd help us to grasp that and to fully see that and understand that and to be sensitive to your leading and sensitive to your Holy Spirit to the things that you would like us to change for our own good. Uh, So this morning I just pray you'd make that real to us. And uh, as we go to the community service, those of us that are going to be there this morning again, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be there, to build unity among the church, Lord. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.